my wife couldn't be here. She was ready to come here, and she was not feeling well. So she got dizzy and said, you better stay. So, but I have a good part of the Sedaka family. And I'm glad to be here and to share with you the word of God. Uh, as he was introduced, I serve as vice president of Justin People Ministries. I'm a Jewish believer, and uh, my life has been dedicated to sharing the gospel with the, with the Jewish people and to, cheat, to teach the church to do the same. And uh, there are about 15,000 Jewish people in this area, and the number of Jewish people here Virginia Beach, Norfolk, Chesapeake, who believe in Jesus, is 0.7%. 0.7%. That makes them, the people of God, the people about whom I write in my book, are the least reached people with the gospel. Uh, some people say, well, David, that's your ministry. Well, our ministry is all of our ministry, right? We all need to share the good news to the Jew first and also to the non-Jew. So as I was preparing the message, uh, I had prepared this message, and uh, something came up, and I, I somehow needed to modify the, the, the message itself. The message is the same. But I'm going to, something happened that made me give a different focus to this. The passage we want to consider today is Romans 1.16. And you probably know it by heart. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Greek here meaning the non-Jew. The gospel is what the Bible says it is. And the gospel means good news. Good news. And we heard singing about the good news. People near need to hear the good news. I'm going to, I'm ready to share good news. I'm ready to hear good news. I'm going to tell something that happened a couple of days ago. My daily routine, I get up very early and I have my quiet time, then a cup of coffee. Then I bring a cup of coffee to my wife, Julia. And uh, she's the chief operating officer of our corporation, so she's busy on, from 8 o'clock in the morning till who knows what time at night. And uh, so I, we try to watch TV, the news, something in the morning as we prepare. And I was watching the news, and I said, you know, the old phrase, stop the world, I want to get off. The, goose that, the news that we hear every day are not certainly good news. That is why the, the message I want to share today is about the good news. And good news is something that we all need, is something that is found in the Bible. The reason why I want to share the good news with you is because it is the power of God unto salvation. What Paul says here he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed. And what Paul is saying here is that something personal, the gospel for him was not something to just to be believed in. It's not something to be taught, but it was something to, to live for. It was something to be shared. And the gospel that, that 
Paul wanted to share made such a radical change in his life that he was not ashamed to share that gospel. In today's world, you know, if you stand for what you believe, you're, you know, you're taking us and close-minded and whatever. Paul was not ashamed to believe what he believed. He had, some, perhaps, he had reasons. And what did he say in this letter? You remember that this is a letter. Now, we have the letter to Romans, and uh, you know that more books uh, on theology have written on the letter to the Romans than perhaps any other book of the Bible. But we forget that this is a letter. This is a personal letter. That is why he talks about, in first person, I am not ashamed. And what does he have to say? He's not ashamed. Well, perhaps he had good reasons. The people, he said, you probably should be ashamed of yourself. Oh, why should I? Because look at your following. You're talking about, you're talking about somebody who was crucified as a criminal. I mean, you're not talking about a great politician. You're not talking of, you're not following a great hero. You're talking about a man who was condemned and crucified. You're talking about somebody. I shouldn't be proud. You shouldn't be proud. We were at, the only thing I want to do, he said, I want to preach Jesus and him crucified. He knew the price. He paid the price. He could have been ashamed, you know, in, in, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. He says, I was stoned. I was flogged. I was in prison. I was hungry. I was cold. I was in a shipwreck. All the bad things that shouldn't happen, it happened to him. I said, well, if you, had a, if you would have made better choices, if you would have stayed as a Jewish rabbi, as a great teacher as you were, you, should, you wouldn't be ashamed of things like that. If you would have been, you know, just holding on to your Roman citizenship, something to be proud of. In the Roman Empire, less than 5% of the people had the privilege of being citizens. You had the privilege. Why did you do what you were doing? He was not ashamed. He says to the Corinthians, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to some, foolishness to others. You know, when he went to, to, to Athens and he spoke there, and he spoke to the great philosophers, the people who want to know about philosophy or the ways of life and great thinking, and when he told about the resurrection of Jesus, oh, you know, that's not for us. You should be ashamed of that type of the basis of his joy is that he was not ashamed because he had experienced something that had changed his life. He had accepted the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. What gospel was he not ashamed of? Well, you say, well, there's only one gospel. Well, there are gospels and gospels, you know that. The gospel that he's not ashamed of is the gospel that brought him salvation. And you may say, David, that's the gospel. Well, that's the gospel, but there are some other gospels that are common in our day. Let me just mention a few. 
Even the Apostle Paul is astonished. And he writes to the Galatians, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by his grace and are turning to a different gospel. And he says, a gospel, a good news, that is no news at all. Have you heard of fake news? Well, these are fake news. There are some fake news that we hear even turning on to preaching in the, on TV. <coughs> There's the gospel of success. A very popular form of gospel is preached to make Christianity fit in this materialistic world. This message is based on the belief that God wants to bless you and therefore you can only expect good things from him. If you are good, goodness will follow you. That's true. But the Lord Jesus was honest enough as to say, in this world, you will have tribulation. Not you might, or you could, if you misbehave. No, the Lord Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulations. Do Christians suffer? Yes, we do. Do Christians go through trials and tribulations? Yeah. Sometimes rejection, illness, death, accidents, being laid off in work. Family problems? Jesus said, <clears throat> there is no gospel that will avoid you the realities of life. He was honest enough, he says, in this world you will have tribulation. But he didn't stop there. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There's also the, 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 sometimes we hear what I call the gospel of the deal, the good deal. And although it's not called like that, we hear that it's a popular form of gospel that is preached today, not in this church, I hope. But he said, or sometimes we, we want to have the, uh, make a deal with God. I call it the gospel of the deal. The basis, you know, uh, God, you do something for me, then I will do something for you. You know, we see this time, and I've I'm, I'm sorry for this. Sometimes we hear prayers in which it's more than a prayer, it's a deal. Lord, you give me this, and I will promise this, and I will be more faithful. There are churches, you know, here, you know, give, and you will be blessed. I was hearing the other day a message in seed. You know, I spent a lot of time traveling, and just a few weeks ago I was in Israel teaching archaeology. And uh, there at night, I stayed in the hotel. I was listening to some of the message. I heard one message. We shouldn't have been heard. Because, you know, plant the seed, $500. in your seed of faith. And then you will be blessed. You will be blessed. <laughs> you are blessed not because you plant $500. You are blessed because you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. What do you think? Who do you think you are that you can make a deal with God? When I sit down to make a deal, it means that I have... Okay, you offer me something, I give you something in exchange. Do you think you, you can sit on the same table and make a deal with God? The creator of the world? Did he ask his opinion when he put the stars in heaven? Did he ask your opinion when he painted the color of the flowers? Did he ask your opinion to the musicians what tones should the birds sing? No, he did a good job though. Do we think that we need, <coughs> do you think that God needs me? Why can't I offer to God? Well, you know, I go to church once a week, I spend an hour and a half, and that's, that's, that's about it, okay? 
Let's make a deal, God. I promise to go to church once a week. Then you say, you know, you bless me and, and that's it. Let's make a deal. You can't make a deal with God. You have nothing to offer him. If you think you have, think again. That's why the apostle Paul says, but it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And not of yourself, because it is what? It is a gift from God. It is a gift. And if you think that you can sit at the table and discuss terms with God, think again. You are going to be in the losing end. Because there's absolutely nothing that you can offer God that God needs. There's nothing that you can ask God. There's also what I call the light gospel. Light gospel, like light butter, light Coke, light mayonnaise. Light gospel. Why not a light gospel? A light gospel is, uh, is a gospel that proclaims that if it feels good, as long as it doesn't hurt, any, doesn't hurt anybody, no matter what the Bible says, just do it. Just do it. Take it lightly. That gospel doesn't demand much. Just go to church once in a while, one hour, and you're okay. And we believe that God's demands can be adjusted to our own calendar, time work, time frame. But our experience, our experience of God is not to make us feel good. It's to make us feel who we are. You remember in, in, when Isaiah saw the vision of God? In Isaiah, he says, Whoa, I'm dead. I'm dead. Why? I saw the glory of God. Who am I? Who am I in front of the presence of God? So don't take God lightly. God is all for you because there was no light cross. Jesus had a choice. You remember when Jesus gets in Gethsemane, right? And he's praying to, to the Father and said, God, can we go to plan B? And God says, there's no plan B. You've got to go to the cross. That's what you promised to do. There is no other way. There is no light gospel. Because there is no halfway salvation. Because there is no light hell. There's only fullness of grace, fullness of life, fullness of pardon, fullness of love. There is no light gospel. Because God gave everything to you. God gives you everything. So there is no light gospel that you can just take a pick and choose. We're talking with, my, with Julia yesterday. I mean, talk all the time, of course. Uh, but we're talking about something that happened and the certain laws that have been passed. And, uh, and we were saying, well, we heard of some, a church that just ordained uh, 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 transgender bishops and so on and so forth. And how far have we gone? We can, we ask me, why, that, why people do things like that? Why do we have to accept things that the Bible condemns? Well, there is. Because people just choose and pick what the Bible says. 
You know, if that doesn't make me feel good, then that's, it's not inspired. Great theologians that have inspired me through their writings believe that the end, God will save everybody, and God has so much mercy that nobody will be condemned. Well, that's not what I read in the Bible. And the Bible says that we are all going to die, and we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. And the Bible calls God a righteous God. And a righteous God is, the, is not a, ga, a God who forgives everything and forgives everybody. Can you just imagine if our court system, if all the criminals were going to go to court and everybody just goes free? That's not justice. God is a God of justice. God is a righteous God. He says he will not condemn the righteous. Neither will he forget the unjust. The Bible talks about a gospel in which means everything. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And we proclaim this message because it's, a, it's the power of God unto salvation. It is the power of God unto salvation. Do we need the power of God? I don't know about you, but I do. There are times in my life and in our lives when uh, we do things right. Still, things are beyond our control, and we need a power greater than ourselves to help us to go through life. And I'm just going to mention three cases that are mentioned in the, in the New Testament. You remember the woman that was suffering a blood issue. She, the Bible says, and it's, I'm not going to read it, but it's in Matthew chapter 9. The woman said, if I only touch Jesus, and the gospel said that she had done everything right. She was suffering from a horrible disease that you women understand. For many, many years. And she wasn't her fault. She did everything right. She went to the right doctor, she paid for everything, yet she wasn't healed. There are times in your life when you need a power greater than you, even though you haven't done anything wrong. Sometimes you can get a pink slip on your company has decided to shut down, shut off, and there you go. And then you're out of a job. You didn't do anything wrong. You didn't steal, you didn't rob. You just said, the corporation decided one day we're going to shut it off. There are times when you do everything yet, but you still need a power greater than you to cope through those situations. There are storms that come into our lives. Storms that, man, shake, shake your life. You know, sometimes you get the news, you know, he's got cancer. Went through an accident. So and so. Wow. There are storms in our lives. God never said everything's going to be just smooth sailing. There are going to be storms in our lives. Do you remember what Jesus did with the storm? The disciples say, Lord, we are sinking. And the, the, the gospel says, you know, that in Mark chapter 4, that. The disciples, and I was just two weeks ago, I was in Israel, in Galilee, on a boat in the Sea of Galilee. 
because I take my students on a boat in the Sea of Galilee to experience that. And I say, we got to get back to shore before 5. I say, why before 5? Because at 6, I can assure you it's going to be a storm. And of, it happens in the Lake Kinneret, which you know is the Sea of Galilee. Lake Kinneret, because of the, the wind and because of the Golan Heights and the mountains and the wind from the Mediterranean, every night we got a thick sea that looks very calm in the morning, gets very stormy at night. And I mean, with nice big waves. And the disciples knew that when a storm was a storm, they were afraid. And they were afraid, and they are, and what was Jesus doing when the storm? He said, okay, he was asleep. And the disciples said, uh, excuse me, Jesus, you're not a, a fisherman, you're a carpenter, you don't know when a storm is a storm. This is a storm, okay? So wake up. And Jesus says, why was Jesus able to sleep? I mean, the question is, why was Jesus able to sleep in the middle of the storm? Because his life was anchored in the will of God, and he knew that no storm, no way was big enough to overcome the will of God for his life. And I can tell you something. There will be storms in your life. But someone who can calm the storms. So Jesus, in that passage, you know, the beautiful passage, that they say, hey, wake up, we're sinking. And he said, he said don't worry. He calmed the storm. Calm the wind. Calm the waves. And the disciple says, who is this guy who even the winds obey him? He's the same one who can calm the storms in your life. That's why Paul says, this is the power of God. Power to calm the storms. Power to overcome things that which you have no control. I'm talking about things over which you have no control. Let me just... Mention another one. In the same passage in, in, in Mark chapter 5, Jesus goes to the other side of the lake, the region of the Gadarenes, and there's a man who is demon-possessed. And he was tied with chains because nobody could control him. He said, David, that is an extreme example. Yeah? Are you sure? Are there... Other chains that we may experience that may not be chains made of iron? Have you dealt with people with alcohol problems? People with drug problems? People who have been sexually abused? Sin comes in different ways, and it can chain you down. It can chain you down in different ways. And people said, well, we tried to chain him down, and he breaks down. I, as a pastor for 53 years, I've counseled people who could not break away their habits, addictions. And only the power of Jesus can do that. And Jesus, that's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is power of God unto salvation, salvation for everything. Salvation for everyone. It is a, a power to break the grip from sin. He says to the Corinthians in chapter 15, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. 
if you hold firmly the word I have preached. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Whoa. Can we believe in vain? Well, sometimes you don't, you just listen to it, but you don't apply it to your life. That's what Bible calls, you know, just hearers of the word, but not doers of the word. The gospel which Paul is sharing is the gospel, the gospel that brings salvation. The true gospel demands a stand. And our Perhaps our message is share that gospel. Share the good news. Share the gospel. The gospel means evangelion. The Greek word means good news. The world needs to hear the good news. That there is hope. That although this world may, be, may seem to be going nowhere, there is a God who is in control. There is a God who will judge. There is a God who will demand. There is a God before whom you will stand one day. A dreadful day for those who don't believe. A glorious day for those who have believed. Because salvation doesn't come because you came to King's Grand Baptist Church. Salvation doesn't come because you sing in the choir. Salvation doesn't come because you write a check to the mission. That should be the consequence of the offspring of having believed. But salvation requires that you take a stand for what you believe. And one of the things that we need to do as believers in Jesus, as believers in the word of God, is to take a stand in the gospel that has saved us. That's what Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses. When I share this with, with, every time I preach on that, I said, do you understand what is the Great Commission? God said, you're going to be my witnesses. Now, he didn't, he didn't say, you're going to be my lawyers. Okay. You know why sometimes we fail? And I find this in Jewish evangelism. And I'm sure that you have said many times, well, David, uh, Jewish evangelism should be left to the Jewish missions and Jewish evangelism people like you who are a Jew. Uh, yes and no. Because the Apostle Paul says that the good news first came to the Jewish people, undoubtedly. But we must not forget the Jewish people. There are 15,000 Jewish people. My doctor here is Jewish. My dentist is Jewish. My lawyer here is Jewish. They don't believe in Jesus. I share the gospel with them when I can and how I can. But Jesus said, you're going to be my witness. And you know why sometimes I fail or we fail in our ministry? Say, oh, you know, it's very hard to witness, especially witness to the Jewish people. And the Apostle Paul says here, I'm... I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is power of God unto salvation to the Jew first. See, it means two things. He came, first of all, that the message was preached to the Jewish people first. Second, we should not forget to share the gospel with the Jewish people. 
Well, 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 why should I do that? Well, we heard it. How can they believe in the one whom they haven't heard of? How can they believe if nobody preaches? And how can they preach? Nobody sends them. Well, we have received the grace of God who saved us. And the Apostle Paul in the same letter says the following. He's talking to the Gentiles. He's talking to the church of Rome. Imagine that you're listening now to the Apostle Paul. He said, from the standpoint of the gospel, you're your enemies. Why? Because they don't believe in Jesus. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved. It's in the Bible, Romans 11. Romans 10. Has God rejected his people? No way. And then in chapter 9, 10, and 11, which is, I believe, the heart of the letter to Romans, <clears throat> he says, For theirs, the people of Israel, are the fathers, the promises, the covenant, the glory of God. But it doesn't say it was. It says, it is. And that was about 30 years after the Jewish people as a nation had rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And then Paul keeps on saying, theirs are the promises of God. God has not rejected. The promises of God are still valid. And yes, you have been blessed because of the Jewish people. The Bible that you read, it's not a commercial, but in that book that I summarized in 200 pages, you hear the hand of God from the calling of Moses to the present day. You have received the Bible. You have received the promises. You have received Jesus, the Jew, as your Savior. And one day, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of God. And who's going to be there? The King of the Jews. God has good news. But this is what he says. Let me just read again Romans 11. From the standpoint of the gospel, your enemies for your sake. What do you mean enemies for your sake? Well, they are different. They rejected the Messiah. And we believe that they are our enemies because they don't believe in the same Jesus that we believe. And some people have taken this to the extreme that we ended up having a holocaust in World War II where two million, uh, six, uh, six million Jews were killed because they were our enemies, because they had rejected the Messiah. But he says, but the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. What, what does Paul say? What does he mean when he says that the gifts of God are irrevocable? You mean that God, you know, there's a theology going, going around what we call displacement or replacement theology, which some people believe that because Israel rejected the Messiah, God rejected God. Uh, God rejected Israel. And Israel is no longer, you know, God's children, and they are forsaken by God. Paul says, no. Has God rejected his people? No way, he says. No way. And then he says one beautiful verse, and one day all Israel shall be saved. So there will be an Israel that will be saved. But then he says, for just as once you, Gentiles, were disobedient to God, but now you have been shown mercy because of them. So these also now have become disobedient. That because 
of the mercy shown to you, they may also be shown mercy. Well, let me rephrase. Because at the end of this, Paul says, oh, wow, this is too much. All the unfathomable riches of God, blah, blah, blah. Paul is saying, you know, I don't understand this. But God has taken off his eyes from the Jewish people right now, although he's caring for them. But he's calling you. He called you now. And you have received mercy through the God of Israel. Through the Messiah of Israel. So now, because you have received mercy, show mercy to them. And that is the message that needs to be called. To the Jew first. It doesn't mean you've got to stop sharing the gospel with the other people and just focus to the Jew first. It's for everybody. For the Jew first. And also to the Gentile. Yes, we need to hear good news, don't we? Next time you turn into the TV station and you just watch those awful news that are coming on and on, you say, I know, but there's a better news. There's better news. There's good news. This is a message not only to be heard, but it's a message to be accepted. It's a message that requires a stand, that message that needs to be shared. Remember I said a minute ago that God didn't call us to be his lawyers, and sometimes we fail because we argue for in favor of Jesus. Last Sunday, at this very time, I was part of a symposium with three Jewish theologians in Israel. And the symposium was just, I mean, it was a three-hour discussion with the, perhaps the three foremost Jewish scholars in the world today and me on just the three words, in the beginning, God. That's it. And I could have spoken about whatever. I can, I can talk, and my daughter can say that. But God didn't ask me just to talk. He asked me to be his. Now, what's the difference between a lawyer and a witness? And sometimes I fail in my sharing of the gospel because I want to defend Jesus. Jesus doesn't need to be defended. He himself said, you know, I can call my father and legions of angels can come and I don't need your help. Now, what, a, what does a lawyer do? And thank, thank God for good lawyers. Good lawyers. <laughs> I have a dear friend of mine who's a lawyer here in Chesapeake. And he is a lawyer in criminal law. He deals with, with criminals. And, you know, we talk and we share, and he's a dear friend of mine. And... I said, Bob, how can you defend the criminal? He says, I don't have to believe that they are guilty or innocent. Just they, they pay me and my lawyers good money just to get them off the hook. So a lawyer doesn't have to believe in the innocence of his client. He just has to know every detail of the law in, by which he can argue and defend. So I heard so many times, David, we can't share the gospel with the Jewish people because they know more than we do and we don't know enough theology. We don't know. Guess what? Jesus didn't ask you to be his lawyer. 
He didn't ask you to argue for him. He asked you to be his witness. And what's a witness? A witness is somebody who can share, tell what he has seen or experienced. You know, you probably saw these shows on TV in which there's a law, a court, and, say, and somebody's called and he says, is that argument or is that a fact? It's just the facts. If a witness is called to the witness stand, he can only tell what he has seen. He can't argue, well, I think that he's guilty. No, 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 just the facts. I used to teach homiletics. I used to tell my students, you know what's the most effective message that I ever preached in the New Testament? It's perhaps one of the shortest messages, but the most effective. You remember the man that was healed who he was blind from birth? And the, the religious leaders of the day said, this can't happen. He's not a licensed preacher. He's not a licensed teacher. He's not a licensed doctor. So they went arguing. So they asked their parents, uh, why did you allow Jesus to heal your son? You know what? Don't ask me. Ask him. And I'm paraphrasing. It's in the Bible, believe me. Right? It's in the Bible? Yes. Okay. And this man is questioned by the leaders of the day. How did he do it? You know, what authority is that? You know what? How? I don't know. I know one thing. I was blind, and now I can see. End of the story. That is the most powerful message that you can share. I was lost, now I'm found. I have no hope, and I have hope of eternal life. I had no power in me to deal with life. Now I have the power of God to guide me through life. That is the message that needs to be shared. And I hope that you will help us to bring this message to the Jewish people.